Good morning, church. I'm super excited to be here with you today. We thought this Sunday was going to be allocated to a guest speaker, Pastor John Morgan. Um, As you're aware, I'm not Pastor John Morgan. Um, I found out on Thanksgiving Day he's unable to make it due to some things in Chicago with their church. And so he's he's at home preaching today. Uh, You get me. So anyway, yeah, thanks. Thanks. I had a great two days uh, figuring out what the heck I was going to do. Um, so I, this morning on Facebook, I posted, and maybe you didn't see it or you're not my friend or you don't do um, the devil's work, social media. Um, but I suggested that you bring your Bible. Just bring your Bible, not just your phone. I see some Bibles in the room. A few of you did. I brought two Bibles in case I need to read a verse twice. Um, I have this my newer Bible, and then my family um, sent my old Bible that I preached for for 10 years. They sent it off and got it recovered because it was falling apart, and this is goat skin, uh, beautifully, beautifully bound. Anyway, I'm not preaching from it today, um, but if anyone would like to borrow this Bible during the service, all right, Kim, here you go. It's, um, I do want this back. I'm not being generous today in this way, Um, and there is no surprise ending of, oh, you get to keep it. No, I literally want this back. Um, And if if you see any of my notes, feel free to put a smiley face by it or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's going to be helpful for you to follow along using the pages of your Bible today. Um, Your phone will work, I suppose. I just think it will be easier to have a a physical Bible. Now, last week, if you remember, we talked about, let me back up, this entire series is looking at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and I've broken it up into groups and how you can understand it. Last week, we talked about the Gospels. How many books are in the Gospels? Four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And probably at the end of the sermon last week, I left some questions in your mind. And I knew that was going to happen for those that were paying really close attention. I knew that I was going to leave some holes, but I promised you that I would come back the next time I preach and that Acts would clear up some things and I would tie up some loose ends. So I'm not staying in the Gospels today. I'm moving on from the Gospels, but I think hindsight, you'll say, oh, that makes so much more sense. So if you were here last week, And I can't re-preach the message, but I do want to do the diagram. So I'll tell you some things uh, that we learned last week. The overarching theme of the Gospels is Jesus is God, Jesus is King. Okay, that's what Jesus came to communicate uh, to people. And we know from Matthew 15, 24, that his primary audience were the Jews. Jesus said, I came to no one except the lost sheep of the house of Israel, okay? One of the questions you may have is, why does that matter? I'm going to answer that in today's sermon. But we learned the overarching theme. We also uh, talked about the Old Testament, which was the law. And I submitted to you that the New Testament did not begin in Matthew chapter 1. It actually begins at the cross, correct? We know from Hebrews 9 that the death of a testator is required for a New Testament to begin. 
You've heard of the saying, last will and testament, right? So the death of Jesus, the cross, the blood, oh, the blood. At the spilling of the blood, there was a new testament started. We, we said that, oh, every time I draw this, I make it too big. Because I want uh, to communicate to you, um, not fully, but just in jest, that there is a rapture that happens, there is a tribulation that happens, there is a return of Jesus on a white horse with the saints. Revelation tells us that he rides on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, he slays the Antichrist, he sets up his kingdom. This is the thousand year reign, okay? On the earth, Jesus physically will be here, and you and I will rule and reign with Christ on this earth. We know from Revelation that he will rule with the rod of iron. There will be people, humans, on the earth that don't want to listen, but they will have to listen because Jesus is king, okay? When Jesus came, he preached prior to the cross. The ministry of Jesus was to the Jews and his message was the gospel of the kingdom, right? Sorry, kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. We broke those down, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. But it was the gospel of the kingdom that was Jesus prior to Jesus. What did John also preach? The kingdom message, right? So we have John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, if, if you weren't here, hopefully I'm just giving you, you can go back and watch last week's sermon. Um, the kingdom of God we learned last week is an inward kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom within us. Luke 17 makes that perfectly clear. The kingdom of heaven, on the other hand, is often referred to a physical kingdom, a physical reign of Jesus, and not just here, but the rule and the reign of Christ in society at large as you and I take the kingdom outside of us into the world. Some scholars believe that kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven are interchangeable, and I would argue that there are cases where you could read the, the context of that scripture in, in either one. But knowing the difference will really help you understand what's being said in scripture. So, the question that you may have is, if Jesus was talking to the Jews right here, does that apply to us? Do I have any Jews in the, in the house today? We've got a 1% Jewish, I know that. We've, anyone else Jewish? Okay, so that means you're a Gentile, you are non-Jew. The question is, if Jesus was talking to the Jews, does it apply to us? And I would say that everything is for us but not everything is to us. So we must know the context of the scripture to know if Jesus is actually talking about us or not, right? If, if we can lay claim to these words in red at any given point in scripture. Obviously, if Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, which is inward, as he does on uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, right? That's something that you and I can claim. He's talking about the kingdom of God that is within us. However, if Jesus is talking about um, the fig tree, for example, who would he be talking to? He would be talking to Israel, the nation of Israel. Actually, whenever Jesus is talking 
about the fig tree. Every parable that Jesus speaks, listen, this is fundamental because many of us misappropriate the parables of Jesus. Every parable that Jesus speaks has a direct application to Israel, a direct application to the Jews. Now, it can have a secondary application for us, but the parables weren't to us. And if you go back and read the parables of Jesus and you think along the lines of Israel and the Jews, some things will start to click and make a whole lot of uh, sense to you. For example, no, you can read it yourself. Um, I won't give you an example, but think about that. You can uh, apply some things for us, but it's spoken to the Jews. Our next question you might have is, why do I need to know that Jesus preached the kingdom? I made a big deal about Jesus preaching the kingdom. A question you might have is, why does that matter to me at all? Why are you telling me that? Well, the gospel of the kingdom uh, was this. You know, John the Baptist was saying the gospel of the kingdom is at hand. And that basically tells us, again, Jesus is God. Jesus is king. The kingdom message is foundational for us to grasp because it tells us who Jesus is. You can't get saved on the kingdom gospel. Do you believe me? Do I need to prove it? Are you alive? (laughs) I got you thinking. The kingdom message dealt with who Jesus is. Who is he? He's God. He's king but you can't get saved from the kingdom message. Knowing that Jesus is real doesn't save you. Now you get it. Knowing that Jesus is God doesn't save you. Do you think the devil knows that Jesus is God? Yes, he does. You're catching on. Took you a minute, but the motor's running. You're warmed up now. Okay, you can't get saved on the kingdom message. Believing that Jesus is king does not save us. Even Satan believes that Jesus is king. The gospel of the kingdom would have saved the Jews. That was Jesus' ministry. That would have been enough to save the Jews. And many scholars believe that had the Jews said yes and recognized Jesus, that this thousand-year reign would have been right here. But thankfully for you and I and all the Gentiles, they rejected him. The Jews rejected Jesus as God. They rejected Jesus as king, not once, not twice, three times they rejected Jesus. And I want to show you that real quick because that's critical to the book of Acts. Do you remember me saying last week that the book of Acts is a transitional book? Okay. So you needed to understand the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and the gospel so that when I get you to Acts, you understand our launching point and how we're transitioning, how the the gospel, how doctrine is transitioning through the book of Acts. How did they reject God three times? First of all, they rejected God the Father. Do you remember the story? It was in Matthew 21 where the Pharisees came up to Jesus And they said, "Uh, Jesus, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? And by what authority do you do these things? Actually, they asked him, what authority do you do these things? And Jesus said, I will ask 
you a question, and if you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. And Jesus said, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it from men? So the Pharisees huddle, they take a, a think break, and they're really confused. And they said, well, if we say, if we say from heaven, uh, we're kind of in trouble because if we say from heaven, then he'll say to us, why didn't you believe John the Baptist? If we say from men, then the people will be angry at us because they believe John the Baptist is a prophet. And so they're stuck. Jesus asked a question that they couldn't answer either way because they would get stuck in their hypocrisy. And so they come back and they say, we don't know. And Jesus says, um, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, they rejected Father God when they rejected John the Baptist. God had been silent for 400 years, and he speaks through John the Baptist, and they reject that it's from the Father. They see John baptizing, and they're pious and righteous in their own right, and they decide they don't need to get baptized, and that was the first rejection of God. They rejected God the Father. Then they rejected God the Son. We see that in uh, Mark chapter 15. You know the story. It says the chief priests stirred up the crowds that they would rather release Barabbas to them. Jesus is on trial, and the Jewish leaders of the day stirred the crowd. They worked their political magic to get Barabbas released rather than Jesus. And Jesus was crucified. So God was rejected by the Son on that second time. Then we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, verse 51, there's a man preaching. His name is Stephen. And this is where they reject. So they've rejected the Father. They've rejected the Son. Who's next? Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching. I mean, I suppose it doesn't help that he called them stiff-necked. Uh, but it says, you stiff-necked and uncircum uncircumcised in the heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And that's equivalent to saying you're just like your mama. Yeah. That's what Stephen did. You're just like your daddy. You did just, you're doing what he's doing. You're, you're, you're dumb, you're not paying attention, you may have an outward circumcision to look religious, but you are uncircumcised in the heart and in the ears, and you don't know what the Spirit of God is doing. And then we go on to see um, later in chapter 7, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. So Philip I said Philip uh, Stephen got stoned. Uh, for all of you millennials, that has nothing to do with a plant. <laughs> it has to do with a rock. Stephen got stoned, and when he, got st when he was stoned to death, that was a rejection of the Holy Spirit. That's in Acts 7. Now listen, 
I, I believe God said, okay, you rejected me three times. I'm going to send the message out now to the Gentiles. He was pursuing the Jews, pursuing the Jews, pursuing that covenant. You rejected me. I'm now going to pivot and I'm going to send the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what Acts shows, shows us. Now, I want to hit the pause button for just a moment because do you remember in Matthew chapter 16, uh, he asked his disciples, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Right? And the crowd said, some, uh, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elisha, some think you're Jeremiah, some think you're a prophet. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus is talking kingdom. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter says, you are the Christ. Peter gets it. He understands who Jesus is. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, Peter, coincidentally, denied Jesus three times. And Jesus said, on this rock, translates to stone, I will build my church. I don't know if that was a prophetic foreshadowing of the church that God was going to build upon the three rejections and the final one was going to have to do with a rock, a stone, whenever Stephen is stoned. But here we are. Thankfully, you and I have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. Could this have been a foreshadowing? I'm not sure, but let's go a little bit deeper with it. Jesus said, on this rock, I'll build my church. On this foundation, I will build my church. What was this foundation that Peter was declaring? You are the Christ. You are the risen one. He was declaring kingdom. So Jesus is saying, on the kingdom, I will build the church. This is why we need to know what kingdom is. Because it is the launching point of the church. All right, let's go a little bit faster. Chapter 9. So... The three rejections, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, Paul gets saved. Saul, God saves Saul, who later becomes Paul. Chapter 10, God tells Peter to go preach to the Gentiles. Now, this is an audience change. I feel like I'm losing some of you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slow down a bit. In chapter 10 and 9 and 8, there's an audience change where God was going after the Jews, and now he's going after the Gentiles. Do you see the audience change? Okay. We would expect then, if there is an audience change, that there is a doctrinal change. There is something that needs to be communicated differently to a different group of people. And we see that what starts out as what Jesus preached, the gospel of kingdom transitions through Acts, and there's something I want to talk to you about known as the Apostles' Doctrine. I know this is a really hard sermon to shout to and say amen, but I'm, I'm hopefully planting some seeds in you, okay, so that you know how to rightly divide the Word of God and you understand what's going on. I, I want to walk you through that. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In the remaining 
time I have, we're going to go through the whole book of Acts. And I'm going to show you the thread of the gospel that changes. Because what will happen is people will create a doctrine somewhere on the bell curve before they get to the final doctrine where it's supposed to rest and be applied today. Are you with me? So people get stuck on kingdom doctrine and forget everything else. Or people get stuck on apostles doctrine and forget everything else. And we can't, we can't stop until we make it all the way through the book of Acts. This is a transitional book, okay? Um, so let's read together Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 47. This is the apostles' doctrine. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine. Underline that in your Bible if you have it. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's how the apostles did church. And it sounds lovely, sounds sexy, but we're not to live by the apostles' doctrine because doctrine moved on. So all of these people who want to bash church because that's not how the apostles did it need to understand how to rightly divide the word of God. We weren't intended to live the apostle lifestyle. Okay, what is the apostle lifestyle? I'm glad you asked. I could narrow it down Okay, number one, the first thing the Apostles' Doctrine is um, water baptism. Bapt, water baptism gets you the Holy Spirit. Okay, for the Apostles' Doctrine, the water baptism, that's in verse 38. Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins so that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see how the apostles believed and they lived out? And it was true at this moment, at this juncture in Christianity, water baptism resulted in being spirit filled. Okay, you with me, church? Verse 43, we see the next thing, signs and wonders. By the way, I'm not a Baptist. I believe that signs and wonders do follow those who believe. Just because something is a part of the apostle doctrine doesn't mean that it transcends and there's something bigger at play. So all of you people in the house that believe uh, Jesus rose from the grave, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. I do believe that we do see signs and wonders to this day. 
But signs and wonders were a part of the apostle doctrine because that's how Jews understood kingdom. They knew by signs and wonders that Jesus was God and Jesus was king. So it's part of, uh, in verse 43, it's part of their doctrine. The third thing may be a little bit surprising to you, the apostles' doctrine, is fear. Fear. That's in verse 43. If you look back with me, it says, Then fear came upon every soul. Fear. Now, I know some people out in the audience may suggest, oh, that's reverence. No, that's not what fear means in this case. If you go to the Greek, the word is actually phobos, where we get our word phobia from. It's terror. The apostles' doctrine included this afraid of God mentality. If you do something wrong, God's going to get you. Right? That was the apostle doctrine. Thank God we don't have that anymore. We understand now on this side of faith and grace that perfect love casts out all fear. Right? That our salvation is one of joy and peace and righteousness, not one of fear. There was a place for fear, and our doctrine today has a healthy side of fear that we call reverence. But the apostle doctrine was fear. And so you will see some denominations that have people afraid to cut their hair or wear makeup because they're afraid that God is going to get them and they need to do everything just right because they're living by the apostles' doctrine. The doctrine that's based on works, by the way. The fourth thing um, the apostles did was they shared everything. They sold everything, shared it. I call it communal living. You could call it communism, honestly. I mean, the apostles were communal living. They had something, they sold it, they shared it. It's rumored that Karl Marx uh, says his idea of Marxism actually came from this verse. So let me tell you, church, you misapply a scripture and you create a a philosophy around it without looking at the full counsel of God and you're going to get yourself into trouble because Marxism is not found in the word of God. Bible, the Bible actually, when it comes to sharing right now, it doesn't say that my house is your house. The covenant I'm in says the Spirit of God molds my heart to generosity in a way that I release freely what I own to those who are in need. Not because I'm required to or forced to. Paul says it's the love of Christ that constrains us not the laws of men. And then the fifth part of the Apostles' Doctrine, and I know I'm, I'm uh, running out of time, but uh, praising in the temple. Part of their doctrine was gathering together in the temple. Our, our doctrine says that you and I are the temple right? But our, our doctrine doesn't diminish the fact that there's still power in a place, all right? So people get stuck in this doctrine all the time, and I, I want to move you past it. Now, I'm going to move quickly here, but I want you to understand that Paul's important. Galatians 1, 11 through 12, we see that there was a revelation given to Paul, okay, that wasn't given to previous apostles, 
But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul receives a revelation from Jesus Christ about the gospel, and we see this transition take place in the book of Acts. In Matthew 10, Jesus tells the disciples, he sends them out and he says, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when Jesus sent them out, he sent them out with kingdom. But then Jesus, after they deny God three times and God pivots, Jesus meets Paul and he releases this gospel of grace. As we read through Acts, we see the transition. So this is why I wanted you to have your Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to go through almost every chapter real quick, and I'm going to show you this transition. Acts 1, 1 through 5, starting with verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from here. I read that verse because we're going to see later on that Peter has a oh duh moment. That he remembers this saying that Jesus said to him, that there are basically two baptisms. There's one of water and one of the Holy Spirit. We then go to Acts 2, 38. Peter says, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see a water baptism at work, the apostles' doctrine in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, turn the page, we see signs that are happening. A lame man is healed. Signs are happening, signs and wonders. And then we go to chapter 4, turn the page. Peter and John are arrested, and the apostles go before a council. They go before the Sanhedrin. And look at verse 7 through 12, Acts 4, 7 through 12. When they had set them in the midst, they asked, But what power, by what power, or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he, he says some things, but the, the main part I want you to look is verse 10. The way that this man is healed is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, and by him this man stands here before you whole. So what was Peter saying in chapter 4? He's preaching kingdom. We do all of these signs and wonders because Jesus really is God. Jesus really is king, okay? The apostles' doctrine continues throughout chapter 4. We read all about communal living and how they need to sell things and, and bring them in. Chapter 5 is hilarious. It's one of the best stories in the Bible. I think it's, I mean, it's actually not hilarious. It's pretty devastating. But chapter 5, Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, they sell all of their things. And instead of bringing all the money to the apostles, they withhold some. Acts 5, I got to just read it to you because it's so great. Verse 3, Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? You see, he's holding some of the money. 
in verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Verse 5, then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and died. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, right? He withheld money from the Lord, and so he died. And everyone that saw it freaked out. And then they went to the wife, and she died because she withheld money, and everyone was afraid. Do you see this, this fear of, like, you better do the right thing, right? You, you better give your money or you're going to die. I suppose now would be a good time to take the offering. <laughs> we see that in chapter 5. Turn the page to 6. And then 7, God uses Stephen to speak to the Jews. We've already talked about that. What happened? They stoned him. In chapter 8, we see a Gentile get saved. He's a, he's a black guy from Ethiopia. He's a eunuch. And we see that Philip is talking to him, converts him on this notion of belief. Chapter 9, we see the conversion of Saul. Okay, so now God is getting ready to send this message to the Gentiles. Because Paul is actually the apostle assigned to you and I. He's receiving the gospel message on our behalf. And we see in chapter 9, verse 15, got to read this, just to prove that I'm not lying to you. The Lord says this in chapter 9, verse 15, but the Lord said to him, uh, talking to a guy who's going to go and baptize Paul, he says, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. So Jesus handpicked Paul to deliver a message to you and I. Do you think Paul's pretty important? Okay, so we see that shift in chapter 9. In chapter 10, Peter, who had been going to the Jews, and then he, in chapter 10, something phenomenal happens, and he has this vision on the rooftop, and he sees a sheet come down, and it's filled with all of these wild animals and these beasts, and he's hungry, and the Lord says to eat, and he says, I'm not eating them. They're unclean. And Jesus says, what I have called clean, you don't call unclean. And the sheet goes back up. And we learn in chapter 10 that God is basically saying, I am preparing for you to go to the Gentiles. You've thought they were unclean, but what I've called clean, you don't get to call unclean. We're going to send this message. He gets a knock on the door, and he gets a call from the rooftop to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, where Peter leads him in the gospel. So we see that shift in chapter 10. In chapter 11, Peter retells what happens in 10, and that's where he has the oh-duh moment because he was preaching at the house of Cornelius, preaching. Just saying the gospel. And the whole room begins to break out and speaking in tongues. The spirit falls. And he looks around. He's like, wait a minute. We didn't baptize anybody. This is breaking my theology. Because our theology says you have to get water baptized. And then you get the Holy Spirit. So Peter is telling everyone, guys, you're not going to believe this. But I'm in the house of a Gentile. And I, I'm just speaking the word of God. And the spirit flo flows out. And everyone's getting filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see this massive shift in chapter 11. Then chapter 13, Paul is sent out, and a new word pops up that we've not seen before. Verse 38 and 39, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man 
is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified. I would underline that word, justified. We hadn't seen this come on the scene up until this point. Uh, There's been a revelation given to Paul, and he's saying that by the blood of Jesus, you and I have been justified as if we had never sinned. Justification is in chapter 13. Jump ahead to Acts 16. I'm sorry, back, back one to 15. This is where it all comes together. <clears throat> so the apostles realize that there's a couple different doctrines going around, like water baptism, Holy Spirit, with it, without it, circumcision, no circumcision, um, they, they come together to discuss works and faith. And the Bible actually tells us in 15 verse 2 that it's no small dissension. Like there's a lot of frustration between the apostles. And, and we see um, that Peter then stands up and he tells in verse 7 through 11, he says, when there had been much dispute, Peter rose and said to them, men and brethren, now remember, Peter is the one that was heading primarily to the Jews, right? Paul was the one that was heading to the Gentiles. Peter stands up and he says, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember that sheet vision, right? And then he went to Cornelius. So by the mouth of Peter, a Gentile heard. Verse 8, So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. It made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So we see faith bubbling up to the surface from the mouth of Peter. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. So the apostles' doctrine is shifting in Acts 15, it's confirmed that we move away from apostles' doctrine to one of grace through faith. Just to finish out Acts, go to Acts 26. This is probably my favorite part of Acts. Paul is giving his testimony. He recounts his conversion in uh, 26. Verse 15, so I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, and he's, he's recounting what Jesus said to him. He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you yet. Paul got several revelations that no one else got. 
The mystery of the rapture was revealed to Paul. No one else, right? That's how we learn about the rapture through, through Paul. There are several mysteries, six mysteries actually, that Paul finds through Jesus. To make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. And here's the clincher, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here we see grace and kingdom combined. Forgiveness of sin through faith and an inheritance because Jesus is king. Do you see that transition coming together so beautifully? And then my favorite verse is verse 28. I cried when I read it. Paul had told his testimony and King Agrippa, who is, you know, Paul's on trial. King Agrippa responds and says to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And I thought, dear God, could my testimony of grace through faith, when told with conviction and authority and understanding, could it cause the world around me to want what I've got? What is the gospel? We know what the gospel is from Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 through 4. Brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you were saved, by which you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, this is the gospel, this is the gospel, this is the big crescendo to the sermon, okay? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, this is where it all ties together. The kingdom addresses who Jesus is. The grace through faith, the gospel of grace addresses what Jesus did. And when we partner them together, we understand that Jesus is God and he creates internal transformation. And Jesus is king. And there's coming a day when every knee and every eye will behold him. And he will rule and he will reign with justice, with holiness, and with righteousness. And as Carrie said in offering, until then we occupy till he comes and we continue to release kingdom around the world. And it is the grace of God through faith, not of my works, lest any man should boast. If I simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose again on the third day, if I believe that, if I truly believe that and I give my life to that, that, my friends, is called repentance and Holy Spirit just ties it all up in a pretty little package and is offering to you today the opportunity to say yes to him understanding what you're doing in this moment 
You're not saying yes to a kingdom message of who Jesus is. You're saying yes to the gospel of grace, that Jesus is God, Jesus is King. He came and he died on the cross for your sins. If you're watching today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus or you're in the room, ready to say yes, can we just bow our heads right now? Church, will you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on a cross for me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus is King. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins. That he rose again on the third day. So I say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we just celebrate this morning? If you said yes to Jesus for the first time or you would just like more information on how to grow spiritually, text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. Please stand to your feet today. I want to thank you again for being with us. I hope to see you next Sunday at 1030 a.m. Until then, be blessed. Walk in authority. Walk in favor. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. Be blessed. We love you.